Let's look in Matthew 26, and I'll just tell you the title of our, of our discussion here, of our message is this. It's Responding Rightly to Personal Sin or Failure. It's kind of a long title, but we're, we're, we're going to talk about from this text that's mingled into the resurrection story, Responding Rightly to Personal Sin or Failure. Responding Rightly to Personal Sin or Failure. So let's read Matthew in Matthew 26. And there's two people that are going to be our focus. One is Peter and one is Judas, who have a personal sin here and failure. Matthew 26, and a long chapter, isn't it? <clears throat> Look at verse 69. We're going to pick up. We're going to read a little bit about Peter, who in the middle of Jesus being prepared for crucifixion, we read what Peter is doing. And then we'll go into chapter 27, a few verses, and see something of Judas. So Peter and Judas are our focus here. Matthew 26, we'll begin in verse 69. I'll start reading. You can just follow along there quietly. It says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now notice a few words here about Judas. Chapter 27, verse 3, 4, and 5. Chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and went and hanged himself. Here you see two people, two major failures, and two different responses. I was reading about a man named James. He was a successful businessman, and he had he done well starting some some um, some businesses, some merchant sold merchandise in the early 1900s. <clears throat> he had a Christian upbringing. He had gospel voices in his ear. His dad actually was a Baptist pastor. It didn't appear that he had a true conversion, though, until later. But I read about this man, James, being a businessman. He was very much into his business, running it, expanding it, starting other ones. And uh, this was during the Great Depression. It was at the, the 30s, early 30s or so. And um, things got tough for a lot of people. Well, things just kind of came to a head for him. He... Uh, 
the business wasn't doing all that well. They weren't about to shut completely down, but it was struggling. But worse than the business was his relationships with his wife and his children. It was just, the communication was not good there. And even his colleagues, he just wasn't doing well in his communication and his rapport with his colleagues. And all of these things, the economy, his business kind of struggle, business is struggling, his relationship with his colleagues and his wife and his children, and he's in his 50s. All these things just kind of culminated during this Great Depression time, and this guy was felt completely um, guilty, had a lot of guilt, feeling, and despair. And he even contemplated suicide. And he had a friend that said, hey, why don't you go to what they called, I don't think they call it this anymore, why don't you just admit yourself into a sanitarium? It was like a mental institution, special hospital. And so he went out of state, went up into Michigan and admitted himself into the sanitarium. Really depressed, somewhat suicidal, and um, kind of a crisis in his life at age, in, the, in his 50s. Well, um, he, he, he did start doing better. Just having a break, just getting away, having some quiet, that started helping him. But what began to help him a lot was when one morning he, um, he um, was, got up early at the, the institution that he was at, and he was going to have breakfast. He was way before they were serving the breakfast, so he had to kind of, you know, spend some time. So he started walking around the halls of this place. And it was like a turning point began to happen as he started hearing some music. He started hearing an old familiar hymn that he heard that he knew as a kid because he was a preacher's kid for a little while. And he started hearing this song, Be Not Dismayed, Whate'er Be Tied, God Will Take Care of You. He heard people singing this hymn somewhere down one of the halls. Uh, be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you. What are the words? All you will need, he will provide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way, God will take care of you. And it just kind of started reviving his thought and his focus toward God. And he began to walk down this hallway and found people, doctors and nurses at a, at a chapel in a secular sanitarium, a mental hospital, early morning, uh, not revival service, kind of like it, but chapel service that they had for themselves before they got about their day. And that began, a, it began to revive his hope. And he began to find hope, I should say, is what I'm trying to get at. He began to find hope in his failure as he started looking Godward. And, re- and just renewing this thought and this hymn. You know, in this, this passage here, again, this passage, you look at this, if you look at the, the, reser- the, the account here of the Gospels, you know, you have the disciples uh, f- running from Jesus because you got these guards taking him and preparing him for crucifixion and Judas had betrayed him and all this stuff. But mingled in this whole story of Jesus' betrayal and his the cross, the agony and the cross and the burial and the resurrection, mingled in all of that is the, is the concept of human failure and sin and how people respond differently to it. Let's recount just this Peter 
and this Judas for just a few moments, okay? Let's, let's think about Peter and Judas. These are the two failures, the two sinners. I'm kind of using it interchangeably today. I understand that sometimes failure could be you mess up on something with all the good intents. I understand that. And sin could be you did something wrong with it, right, that intent. But I'm going to just kind of mix those together that we have sin and failure. And here, here's some examples of it. Um, you have uh, Peter's denial. Remember Peter? When they were at the, Jesus was having a meal with the disciples. They had the Passover meal, I believe, right at the, after the Passover meals when he instituted the Lord's table and showed symbol of his, of his body being broken and of his pure blood being shed, showing unfermented juice and the unleavened bread. And, and he has this. And as they partake, he tells them, he says, uh, um, uh, Verily, one of you is going to betray me. And some chapters earlier, we could run over to it, but a chapter or two earlier, it says, when are you going to betray me? And, and, um, um, and they said, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I? You know, and, then, and, then, and then finally, Judas said, Lord, is it I? And he says, as thou hast said, it is you, Judas. And then later they're having this conversation, and, and Peter's, Peter speaks up and says, you know what? Though all men betray thee, I'm never going to betray thee. Lord, I will, even though I go to death with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus, you see, Peter didn't have to say that. Do you ever get to where it's like you just said something like, I didn't have to say that. But he just had to say that. Right? Peter speaks, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. I know these guys are okay, my disciples and my brother. And, but me, I'm not going to betray you. And Peter had, it looks like a moment of very self-confidence. A high, I should say, relying on himself. It's okay to be confident, but have a Godward confidence is what we should have. But he was self-confident. And he says, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says, well, Peter, I tell you, certainly, verily, you're going to deny me three times before the, the cock crows three times this night. No, Lord, no, no. Though all men betray thee, I'm never going to do it. And it, it, uh, the way it's recorded in the text, that Jesus actually let Peter have the last word on that. And they went their way. They sang a hymn. They went out, and Jesus is being betrayed and, and so on. Later on, Peter does. He finds himself at a fire. In fact, in chapter 26, look at verse 58. Peter's following him afar off. He said he wasn't going to deny him, but he's kind of like playing this middle ground. He's not right with him, and he's not completely out of the picture. He's kind of like, yeah, I told you I wouldn't deny you. He's kind of like afar off, you know. And verse 58, he's far off in the high priest's palace, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter's just kind of like examining at a distance and watching Jesus being interrogated and mistreated. And now Peter, while Peter's kind of getting in this Maybe he's like in this grumpy mood or something. It just feels like it. This little girl says, hey, I know you. You followed Jesus. Get out of here, little girl. I don't know him. I do not. And then he goes, proceeds to do this and that. And some other, some other little girl says, I, you are definitely, you definitely followed Jesus. I, and he, now he goes, now he has to make an oath. He doesn't have to make an oath. He makes, I do not, he, whatever he says, I swear or whatever, I do not know the man. I mean, he was so self-confident hours earlier. Now he can't even tell the truth to a little girl and another little girl. And he's denied, he's denied. And then, he's, he's, then the Bible, the scripture records that 
After a while, verse 73 says of chapter 26, After a while they came unto him, and they that stood by said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. We know, that, we know your accent. You're from Galilee. Jesus had all these Galilean disciples. They kind of have a different accent up there. You know, I don't know what that meant, but it was, they said, You're different. You know, the northern, the southern type of thing, you know. There's that here in the United States. And um, Anyways, they said, we know you're with them. And now Peter really just digs in. And, he, and he, he began, verse 74 says, he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man, bleepity, bleep, bleep, bleep. All the things he learned as a sailor, you know, the bad words. And then when he did, uh, the cock crew. It, it, it just, but I, I, I'm like wanting to laugh a little bit because of the irony, but it's really not funny because he, he falls apart. Verse 75, Peter, then Peter, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept. He didn't just weep. He wept bitterly, bitterly. Have you ever failed? And you just go, oh, just weep bitterly. Breakdown. He, he, he blew it, man. Let's move to Judas. Look at verse 27, chapter 27 and verse 3. Judas, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and brought the pieces of silver back to the chief priest. I, I don't know everything that's going on in Judas's mind. He, he had this little conspiracy with some of the insiders of the temple, the high priests and stuff. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll tell you where Jesus is, and I'll identify him for you. Jesus didn't have a halo over his head. Okay, so he, he told the chief priest, I'll tell you where Jesus is, and I'll identify him for you and if you give me the 30 pieces of silver. So he had that agreement ahead of time. And that's what happened after the Lord's table. They, the, high, the priests and the, the, the guard came to take Jesus, and, Peter, and Judas had to point him out. He gave him a kiss, betrayed him with a kiss, and... and um, <clears throat> And he betrayed him there, and they gave him the 30 pieces of silver. Judas goes his way, has 30 pieces of silver. He's making it rich. And I don't know what's going on in his mind. I don't know if he thought, you know, I don't know what he thought about Jesus. I really don't. Except he didn't think Jesus is worth um, believing. 30 pieces of silver are worth more. And he certainly didn't have personal faith. So he betrays Jesus. And um, he's taken, and, and then as P Judas goes his way, he has the 30 pieces of silver, and he starts, whatever's going on in his mind, he's thinking about it, he's thinking, wait a minute. And he's, perhaps he's watching how he's being interrogated and watching how he reacts, and he realizes this is like a lamb. This is, this is a sinless man, and this man is innocent. And, and it just grieved him, and he repented himself. Repent here doesn't mean to be saved. It means he changed his mind about that action but not enough to have faith in the person. Repented himself. He goes back to the chief priests, says, here's the money. Ah, I've condemned innocent blood. And they're like, we can't take that. You take it. That's your deal. And he went out, and the scripture says he hung himself. He was despaired of life and killed himself. Committed suicide. And there's a little more to that story, but I, I want you to just consider these two people. Peter denied the Lord. He's a genuine believer, denies the Lord. But we're going to see, well, I'll just, you know, if you read the Bible, he recovered. And then Judas betrayed the Lord and 
just went and spiraled into suicide. You know, two different failures, two different responses. One's response, Peter's, was weep. He weeps, he struggles, and he's eventually restored. Judas, he despairs, and he resorts to suicide. Now, let's think about us. You know that all of us, all are failures to some degree? Because we're sitting here looking at this, and we're like, man, Judas, what a bad guy. Man, Peter, what a bad guy. We are all failures. We're, called, we're all sinners. All have sinned. All have sinned. Some of us, we haven't sinned in, we don't think we've sinned in a while. Then, then when you sin, you have a big sin, and you hit a wall, you're like, I really am a sinner. I'm so bad. You know? But all have sinned. To some, all, all of us are failures to some degree. And this is one thing I've realized more and more as I've gotten older. Read the Bible. He's sprinkled on the pages of the Bible. Every, no, I shouldn't say every page. Sprinkled throughout the Bible is the record of men and women who blew it purposely or intentionally and unintentionally. Mostly intentionally. <laughs> but it's filled with the pages of people who blew it, who had heinous crimes. I'm reading this book right now about uh, abuse because abuse is way too common. And it's a Christian wrote it. It's a good book so far. And he starts quoting and going from front to the back of the Bible of Christians, non-Christians, Jews, non-Jews, rich, poor, men, women who were abusive. And it's filled in the Bible. People have sinned all kinds of sins. We, we fail. We have all kinds of failures. We sin. We have all kinds of sins. What if ours were written in the Bible? Peter's got his written. Now, Peter, you know, one thing Peter has that we don't have, he's going he's gonna to be ruling and reigning with Christ in a unique way. And I, his, his name's on one of the gates or the foundations or something. I've got to check that out in Revelation again. I forgot. I'll get it straight by the time we get there when we preach it, okay? But his name's on the, uh, on, on the, the you know, in heaven there on, the, on one of the structures. And, but, but we get to read about his sins. We get to read about David's. We get to read about Judas. And like, ah, what losers, you know? But what if ours were written in the Bible? What if our failures and sins were written in the Bible? We'd see a record of a man who loses his temper at work and loses respect because of it. We'd read about a spouse who lived selfishly and lost his marriage. We'd read about people who resort to addiction and plundered what they had. We'd read about people who relapsed and resorted to addiction again. What would we read if we read our failures in the Bible? We'd read about a mom who neglected her responsibility as a parent or a dad who totally neglected his responsibility as a dad and as a husband. Those are failures, aren't they? We'd read about a single person who lost their purity. We'd read about teenagers who were given money and opportunity and plundered their money and their opportunity and wrecked the car their parents gave them disrespected their parents. We'd read about all kinds of sins and failures. We'd read about a businessman who failed to manage his assets and, and uh, clientele and staff wisely. We'd read about a Christian neighbor who lost his temper with his, uh, over a dispute with his neighbor. You ever seen that old Sprite commercial in the 90s? Some of the basketball. There's a Sprite commercial in the 90s. Uh, this kid's watching Grant Hill play at a park. And he's, uh, it's, a ba it's a basketball thing. He's, Grant Hill's playing basketball, and he's like, 
Grant Hill drinks Sprite. Because he saw Grant Hill drink Sprite and do like a, a dunk. And then he goes, Grant Hill drinks Sprite. This kid's watching. And then he goes, Grant Hill drinks Sprite. And then he take drinks some Sprite and then he goes up to dunk. I'm going to go dunk. And he goes up and he goes, <coughs> and he hits the rim. Not dunks the rim. He just hits it and falls back. And ever since then, if a guy ever went up for a dunk and hits the rim because he falls short, they say, Sprite, you know. <laughs> At least that's what they said to me when I was playing with my friends, you know. <laughs> you know, a dunk fail. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And all fail on some of our aspirations that maybe have nothing to do with sin. We sometimes just fail and we blunder. And but I, what I'd like to do today is this. I want to. This is the rest of our time in two parts here. I want to discern the right reactions and the wrong reactions to sin and failure. There's wrong ways to respond. You know, there's wrong ways to respond to success. There's wrong ways to respond to failure. Sometimes people get success and they respond wrong, and it comes back to get them. But there's also wrong. There's wrong and right ways to respond to failure. We're all going to have it. We're all going to sin. We don't want to. But when it happens, here's some wrong ways to respond. Let me give you some examples. Some of these scriptures I'll just mention. Some of them, maybe some of them we'll just go take a peek at. Here's six wrong reactions to sinning or failure. Here's, ready? You should identify with them because I know we've done them. I've done some of these. Like, eh, that wasn't the right way to respond. First wrong response, if you've sinned, you failed, whether it's a, something as devastating as you just verbally deny the Lord or you, or you do something immoral or something dishonest, whatever it is, one of the wrong responses is deny, denial. Deny. If you, do, if you sin and before God and you deny it, that's not a right response. You will not prosper. Whoso can, uh, he that covereth his sins shall not succeed, shall not prosper. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have not sinned, we lie and the truth is not in us. Don't deny if you've sinned. Don't deny to the person that with whom it has to do, nor with God. Denial is a wrong response to failure. Admit it. We'll get to that in a moment. Number two, another wrong response to failure or sin is blame. That's easy to do. There's all, in America, everybody can be blamed. You can blame, find, you can find somebody that'll help you blame somebody. And if you didn't think of anybody to blame, there's probably somebody out there to help you figure out somebody to blame. There's always somebody to blame in America. It doesn't work as well in other countries, you know. But we can always find somebody to blame and somebody to, to get on our case, uh, to, to help us make a case for it. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve started blaming they sinned. Uh, Adam uh, allowed his wife to take of the fruit. He took of it also. Satan had kind of fanned that flame and stirred that up. And then when the Lord confronted him, um, Adam starts blaming his wife. But he said it to God, the wife that you gave me, you gave me some grief here. The wife whom thou gavest me, she gave me to eat. Oh, yeah, like you're supposed to take everything she gives you to eat, right? It was the forbidden fruit. He's blaming his wife, and then he, the wife blames the Satan. She, her excuse is a little more tolerable than his. But the idea is we blame, don't we? 
My kids, how, how many of us, okay, raise your hand, parents, if your kids ever say, um, he made me do thus and such. If my kids ever say something bad, and I'm like, hey, you said this, that's not what you say. He made me say, I'm like, oh, no, that doesn't work. Did he go up to your mouth and go like this and move your vocal cords? No. See, that's blame, huh? They made me. We're, we're blaming a lot. We, we get angry and we get mad at people, and what do we do? Find a way to justify it. If you, if, we're like, what did they not do right today? Okay, they didn't do that. That's why. See, if you just did this one thing right today, and I wouldn't have blown it. I wouldn't have got angry with you. But because of you, I've sinned. Because of you, I got angry. Because of you, I'm being unfair or whatever. We're always blaming. And it, it's not honest to keep blaming. Uh, but it's similar to denying. Number three, another wrong response, and we're going to come back and get the right response here in a little bit, is suicide. Too much suicide is going on. And too much has gone on. Judas committed suicide. Now, he, I, I don't, he's an interesting case. It was prophesied that somebody would deny Jesus and go to hell. That's the Bible. I don't, he, and he, he denied Jesus and he went early. Yeah. Hung himself. And I, I'm not trying to uh, be cruel about the matter of suicide. Some people are very sad for that commit suicide. It's not new. In 2 Samuel 17, verse 23, there's a man named Ahithophel. Now, I want to tell you a little bit. You, you can look him up. Ahithophel was probably the grandpa of Bathsheba, from what you can tell in Scripture when you start connecting names and stuff. And Ahithophel was one of David's close counselors and Ahithophel, the Bible says, if you go to Ahithophel for advice, it was like you're going right to the mouth of God. He just had it. When you asked him for advice, he was like a counselor to the leaders. And he just knew exactly what to do in certain circumstances. Everybody wanted the advice of Ahithophel. Well, long story short, David's son, Absalom, caused an insurrection in the country and split the country. And he brought Ahithophel on his side to be on his staff, so to speak, in his administration. And during this time that Absalom's doing this rebellion, this insurrection, he has some of his dad's leaders with him, a few of them. Some of his dad, David's leaders, stuck with him and were faithful. But anyways, Absalom has some of them. And Absalom asks a couple, couple of counselors of David, hey, what should we do in this situation here? He asks, I think it was Hushai and Ahithophel was the other one. And they each gave like some advice on this one scenario of what to do in kind of coming, finishing out, taking over the country. And Hushai gave some advice, and Ahithophel gave some advice. And when Ahithophel, it's like if, if Ahithophel gives advice, it's followed. That's what he's used to. When I say something, people are going to do it. Now I got this other guy giving advice too. Well, Hushai gives advice, Ahithophel gives advice. And they chose the advice, the counsel of Hushai, and not Ahithophel. They forsook the counsel of Ahithophel. When Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, you know what he did? He went home, he set his house in order, got everything set, which is, was good, you know. And he went out and hung himself. He killed himself. And he was in despair. He failed. He failed on a, a couple of fronts, but he, resor he went the wrong way. 
Another wrong way to respond to failure, because we all experience it, is to quit all responsibilities. It's one thing to take a break. It's good to take a break, isn't it? My wife and I, we're talking, now whenever we talk about a vacation and stuff, you know, people are like, hey, you're going on a vacation? Yeah, it's going to do a lot of fun stuff. We're like, no. <laughs> Boring sounds fun. <laughs> no, we have to do a lot of fun stuff still because we got the kids with us. But boring sometimes sounds fun, you know. But it's one thing to quit all. It's one thing to take a great break and a vacation. It's another thing to say, I've messed up. I'm just quitting everything in my life. I'm quitting everything. Some people go to extreme. They, they, they're, they're just like, well, if I can't find, I've been trying to find a job. If I can't find a job, then I'm just not ever going to work. Yeah, that kind of works in this country, you know. I'm never, if I can't work, then I'm never going to work. If I can't be a good husband, then I'm just not even going to try. If I can't be a good wife, then I'm just not going to try. Just forget it all. If I can't get good grades in one out of seven subjects in my class, in my, in my school, even though I'm getting B's and A's in all the rest of the class, if I can only getting a C in my history class, then I'm just not going to do anything at all anymore. You know, and because you fail on one aspect, you want to quit everything. And, and kids are like that. We can be like that. Some people, if I, well, I lost my virginity. Well, I might as well just dive in then. That's how people think. I've been, in, I've been promiscuous. I've been impure. Or I did one. I messed up. So then who cared? No! We're still obligated to do the right thing. You're still obligated to be a dad. You're still obligated to be a mom, a wife, a spouse, uh, a diligent student. So sometimes people run and they, well, I'm just quitting everything because I failed. Here's another wrong response. Two more. It's number five, bitterly resume life. I'll go back to life, but I don't like it. And, I, and it, I'm flavored now. My flavor is bitter. I smell bitter. I taste bitter. I sound bitter. That's Esau. Genesis 27, 41, Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. Esau went about life after he was tricked by his brother. And, but he went about life bitter. Another wrong response, six that I think of, is to sin more. Hey, I sinned and I messed up. Let's just dig in and keep doing this. You know what David did? Remember, David committed adultery. And then it was like, you should have just, dude, stop. And then he started manipulating. Let's lie about this. Let's set up my... Bathsheba's real husband to come see me. I'll act like we're all chummy. I'll say, let's. He was started to deceive, and then he had. Then he when he, he just sin upon sin upon sin, and then he had, he had, Uriah, his, the woman he had an affair with's husband. He had made sure that he got into a battle where he died. Now he's a part of murder. And sin piled on sin. So. Wrong responses to, to sin and failures is to deny. Don't deny. Don't blame. Don't go to suicide. If you belong, if you're the Lord's, you belong to him. Don't crash a vehicle that doesn't belong to you. Don't quit all responsibility. Don't bitterly resume life. Lest there be any root of bitterness in us. Look diligently for the grace of God, Hebrews 12 teaches Look diligent lest you fail the grace of God. Nor should we just keep sinning. 
Let me give seven right responses to sin or failure. Seven right responses. This is the second part of our time. Is this, if we sin or you fail, reconsider the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. There's so many amazing things about the, the this isn't a lucky charm or not like something mystical here, but the concept of him, the innocent dying for the guilty, the God becoming man, God in man's place, God the Son pacifying righteous divine judgment that should come on us. There's such, this is so rich. But when you, in in your failure, in my failure, reconsidering the cross can do so much. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, he said that, um, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the chief. In fact, let me get the, let me get the quote correct. 1 Timothy 1.15. Um, He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You could say to save sinners, to save failures, to save people who've blown it. Paul was a religious man. Paul knew the Old Testament. Paul was uh, successful in that sense, but he blew it. He started persecuting Christians, and he started uh, having them killed. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. When we consider the cross, we've got to think, whatever my failure is, it wasn't so bad that Jesus wouldn't die for it. He died for all sins. He died for all sins. Here's another right response to, to sinning and to failure is admit it. Did you know it's always, you've heard me say this, it's always safe to admit with your mouth your sin to God. It's always safe. Now, you might not want to admit facts to some person, to some kid. You know, some of, some, you, know you, tell, you tell somebody a secret or you tell somebody something, you're like, oh, why did I say that? Now it's all over the place, you know. But it's always safe to admit sin, failure, anything to God. It's not like he doesn't know it anyways. But he calls us to confess with our mouth. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means he's not, he's like, I want to hear your mouth say it. Oh, yeah, you, I know you lied. Yeah, I think you, you said it. Okay, you're forgiven with me, my child. You're forgiven. Forgiven in the sense of the parental relationship is restored. It's always safe. I don't care if you sin every day. I don't care if you sin once an hour. Like, just admit it every time. Admit it. Don't deny it and don't blame. Look quickly at Psalm 32.5. In the middle of your Bibles, the Psalms. Psalm 32.5. Again, what are we doing? We're looking at the resurrection story. We're looking at two men who just had a major crisis in their life. One of them, his life ended. And we're seeing how they both failed, and there's different responses to that. And we want to choose the right response. Psalm 32, verse 5. David is a Psalm of David. He talked about the blessedness of being forgiven. In Psalm 32, verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. David said, you know, David did bad stuff. 
But the best thing he can do, what's the best thing you can do? Have you ever met somebody who did a bad, bad, bad thing? It could have been very illegal or whatever it is. The best thing a person can do is confess it to God. And then the second thing is get it right with the people that you may have wronged. But admitting sin is always the right response to sin and failure. Number three, another right response, three of seven, is to learn from it. (laughs) I'm helping to homeschool some of my boys, my older boys, my seventh grader and my ninth grader. And sometimes they'll like want to avoid a test, avoid an assignment. And I don't blame them. I was like that too. But it's like, what good is it to avoid a test? If we're going to go through this course and you're trying to go, you, you can't. It's like you, you try to avoid a test or you fail a test and say, let's keep going. No, we got to keep doing this test. We got to keep doing this assignment. We got to keep doing this lesson until you get it down. You know, sometimes we fail often because we haven't learned from the previous incident. You know, one person said, you need to fail intelligently. Don't waste the experience, they said. Don't waste the experience. You may not be able to make up for the loss, the damage, or the hurt relationship, but you can be wiser. Learn from your, our sin and, and failure. That's a good way to respond. Number four, correct it. Restore those you've wronged. Restore those you've wronged. You know, when John the Baptist was coming and preaching before Jesus showed up on the scene, he preached against sin. He preached that people should repent and accept and be ready for the Messiah, come and be baptized to show that they have repented. And he would baptize people who repented, who turned to the Lord, who said they're ready for the Messiah. He baptized those people. And when they were baptized, they said, now what should we do? Now what should we do, John? Yeah, we went through our baptism. Now what should we do? He said, all right, you guys, he kind of identified different people. You do this, you do soldiers, quit complaining about your wages, don't do violence to people, and you stop defrauding, and you. And he says, show some fruit that's fitting, that's meat for your repentance. Show proof that your mind has changed. And so for us, whenever we've sinned and we've admitted it, we need to correct it. I need to show fruit that I'm not going to be. I need to show some fruit that I'm sorry. I need to show some fruit that I'm not, that I'm sorry that I lied by being truthful. I need to show, show some fruit that I'm going to be more patient with somebody. I need to show some fruit that I'm going to change my spending habits because I've blundered it recently. Bring forth fruit. Correct it. Number five. Another response, 5 of 7, is draw nigh to God. Look in James, five, James 4, verse 7 and 8. James 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God. Nigh means go close. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I talked about, it's kind of like confessing, but go close to God. Go Godward. Don't run from God. Run to God. How many people ran to Jesus, and Jesus was like, ah, I can't handle that one. Ah. I mean, even lepers. He'd be like, you're cleansed. How many people ran to Jesus like, whoa, 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 this is a hard case here. You got a bunch of demons in you. You're not really clothed. You got... This is ugly here. That's how one of them was. Anybody who ran to Jesus, he could handle it. Draw nigh to God. 
I, one of the things I'm trying to do, be, and I realize this is, a, this is because, because God is like this to me, I want to be like this to my kids. I can go to God for anything, any sin, any failure, and I know he's, he, can, he deals with me, loves me, he helps me, he hears me. He's like the best father. So, therefore, I want to I create such a relationship with my kids such that when they fail, I want it to where they know they could come to me. I want my house to be a great place to fail. I want my relationship to be a great place to fail. That is, they can fail and feel like we can talk about it. And I may not always know what to do, but I want it to know that they can draw nigh to dad. And that's how God is already when we failed. Number six, resume your responsibilities. Remember how sometimes when you fail, man, I just can't do anything right. I give up on everything. You know, I just can't be a good husband. I want to give. I just can't be a good wife. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We need to always resume our responsibility. It's your duty to be your husband, uh, to be a husband to your wife. It's your duty, lady, to continue to support your husband the best you can. It's your duty, dad, to keep being a dad. Who else is going to do it? It's your duty to be a mom, ladies. Who else is going to do that? It's your duty to work. You can't get a job while well, still go do something. It's your duty still to be pure. Keep yourself holy. It's the will of God, even your sanctification. Some person said it. said, you must have long-range goals to keep in, pardon me, he says, you must have long-range goals to keep you from being frustrated by short-term failures should have long-range goals to keep you from being frustrated by short-term failures. I thought that was pretty good. Then the last thing is keep taking steps of faith. Whenever we failed, you know, God still wants us to live by faith, take steps of faith. In other words, trust him on things that maybe you don't see how it's going to work out. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. Galatians 2.20, God says, or the, Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every day I'm trusting him. This guy, James, that I told you about, was delighted to hear this hymn as he was walking down this hall be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you. So he followed the sound. He stumbled upon a chapel. This is his record here. I got some of his quotes here. He followed the sound. He stumbled upon a chapel that was filled with worshiping doctors and nurses early in the morning at the sanitarium. He heard somebody read the scripture. Um, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For him, that was a moment of clarity. He was a hardworking entrepreneur in his life. He'd been work, He'd even been striving, even though he wasn't really saved. He'd been striving his life to do things in a God-honoring way with his business. But now he realized it's time to rest everything in the Lord's grace. He said, quote, At that time, something happened to me which I cannot explain. It was a life-changing miracle, and I've been a different person ever since. I saw God in his glory, and I planned to be baptized and join a church soon after. It took him, for the record, it took him some years to actually join, but he did eventually. Over the next 12 hours, he experienced a kind of conversion. He said, suddenly needing to be heard, I cried inwardly, Lord, will you take care of me? 
God will take care of you. Lord, will you take care of me? I can do nothing for myself. He said, I felt I was passing out of darkness into light. The words, quote, only believe kept coming to me. He said, in the midst of failure to believe, I was being helped back to believing. That guy, James Cash Penny, J.C. Penny, recovered midlife from failure and did pretty good after that. Now, who's running his business now is a different story. But he did pretty good after that, and he determined to run his business in a God-honoring way. But he had to first (laughs) rightly relate himself to God. And when he did it, it went even better for him in his case. Not that saying that if you have a relationship with God, bling, everything turns to gold. That's not the case. But you do see an element of God's blessing and a difference in his life for that. There's hope for those who go Godward. Peter went Godward eventually. Like his resurrection, we're thinking of today the resurrection story, Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. Like his resurrection, we can be renewed every day from failure, from sin. We can be renewed every day if you say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, and he renews us. But ultimately, this, when we think of the failure, we think of sin, we think of failure, we're sitting in a body that's going to decay because of sin, and it's going to fail to keep working. Some of us are like, i got a pretty strong heart, you know. Yeah, for now. My knee's pretty good. Knock on wood, preacher. For now, you know. We're all, we're all destined for a grave. It's going to fail. We're already walking in a failing body. But the resurrection gives us hope for that. We're going to have a new one. You know, I got this little, you know these little LED, um, these new LED, not that, but like these LED lights. Everything's changing over. Oh, no, you can't, you can't get the regular old school. You've got to have an LED light. You know, I went to get, a, you know, these big, these big flashlights. What are those big flashlights, those black ones called the Mac? What is it? Mag lights, yeah. I got a big one. I'm like, man, I, I, the light, I think the bulb was out on it. I kept thinking, I gotta throw, should I throw this thing away or what do I do? I put new batteries. Uh, all right, I'm going to go get a bulb. It's just one of these little bulbs. I go into the Home Depot. I'm like, hey, I need a new bulb for that. Like, oh, no, we don't have those. All we have is LED, you know. It's like, okay, for this? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. And they came over and they showed me this little light. I'm like, really? Okay. So I took out the one. I put in their little LED. I'm like, yes, it's awesome. I mean, it's brighter, lasts longer, and I'm not a commercial here, you know. It's, uh, it, 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 and, and it, it's about the same size. It looks a little different, but it lasts longer and it's brighter. I'm like, that's the resurrection right there. That's me. We're the old school stuff right here. But when you get resurrected, you're going to look about the same Better looking, though. You're going to last longer, too, and be a lot brighter. That's what the resurrection does for us. There's hope for our failing body. I'm just saying, look, we wanted to talk about sin and failure, and there's right and wrong responses to it. I hope you take this seriously. But the biggest thing is, what's going to happen to you when you die? Your soul's going to go to heaven or hell, and if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you will go with Him, and He'll give you a new body one day that's unfailing.